We're finally there, the 2020 NFL Draft Edition of the Dolphins In-Depth Podcast. I am caddy of the show, Armando Salguero. Star of show, Adam Beasley, is always right there, out front, leading the charge. Turn in your card, Adam Beasley. Oh, wow. Look at that. No no, uh, no build-up, no, hey, how are you doing? How's life doing? Let's boom. Give me your pick. Uh, okay, you're right. I, I, look, could you could you tell me how that big wart that you grew during this pandemic is doing, and also uh, explain to me your entire uh, sex life, and also if you could tell me what you've had for dinner the last seven nights. So with the fifth pick of the NFL draft, <laughs> very good. Well, yeah, I will. I will say this. You know where I should be right now, Armando? No. Las Vegas. Ooh, that's kind of uh, a ghost town right now, no? Yes, to say the least. Uh, instead of uh, living it up on the strip, hanging with Tua, hanging with Justin Herbert, uh, hitting the blackjack table, maybe catching a show, I am locked in my house with my two-year-old child. Pretty much the opposite. The, the, you couldn't have a more polar opposite of an experience as to what I would be doing today if not for the, uh, for the coronavirus. Yeah, I, I I feel bad for you, Adam. Um, uh, seriously, that is that is very high on my list of of things that I feel bad about. I also feel kind of bad for those people in nursing homes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but equally as bad for you that you're not living it up in Las Vegas, spending company money. I, I I'm right there with you. Good. I'm glad we're on the same page about that. <laughs> All right, all right. So you're putting me on the spot. Let's put you on the spot. What's yeah. what's gonna ha- what's gonna happen tomorrow? You did not answer, but yeah, okay, I'll, I'll play. So I really, really am getting a lot of feedback that at number five, the Dolphins may not pick a quarterback, mm-hmm. and that is just look. Uh, I have advocated that in my columns, but I've also said it takes great, what Don Shula called courage of conviction. You have to have tremendous huevos to do that because you have to do it with the knowledge that at some point you're going to get the quarterback that you want anyway. And I can do it and say it in a column because my job's not on the line. And no one three years from now is going to say, hey, Mondo, uh, you're fired because you didn't get that quarterback. The actual decision makers at the Dolphins, if they do that, that's going to be one of those, oh, my God, they they really are out there on a thin limb. If they do that, and I, and I would agree with you, I think it's a real possibility, and I think that it might be the right move in the end considering that there's no ideal quarterback not named Joe Burrow in this draft, uh, if they do that, Armando, before they – you don't turn on that card anymore because there's no cards. It's, hey, hey, Raj, this is who we're taking via Zoom. Before they, before they Zoom it up with the commissioner, they have to get another top ten pick. They have to. They, 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 they can't be like, okay, well, I know there are a bunch of teams that are looking to trade down. And the Cardinals, uh, according to Tom Palacero, 
need a second-round pick. They gave up their second-round pick in the DeAndre Hopkins trade, so they want to get a second-round pick back. The Dolphins have two of them. To get from 18 to 8, which is where the Cardinals are picking, um, would only take the 39th pick in the draft if those draft charts are accurate, which would be fine because the Dolphins would still have another second-round pick. But they cannot rely – they cannot wait until the Cardinals get on the clock to start those negotiations because then it would be too late because then too many things can happen. And I'm not just talking about other teams jumping in and, and giving Arizona a competitive package. I'm saying the cable could go out. The Internet could go out. The power could die. There are so many things that could go wrong in this draft that the Dolphins cannot rely on the 10 minutes the Cardinals have hammering out that trade or whoever, whatever team, the Browns at 10, whatever team you want to insert for the Dolphins to move up. But they cannot – they cannot – wait at 18 and just hope their quarterback falls to them because that would be a disaster because I, they would probably be left with Jordan Love, which would be fine. I mean, they, Jordan Love is, is, is someone they've, they've done a lot of work on. There's some affinity for him in that building. But then you're letting the league dictate to you who your franchise quarterback is. And as you said, this was not the point of this exercise. The point of this exercise was to be able to control who your franchise quarterback is. And if they go best player available at five and don't move up, they don't have that control. Okay, so let's do this exercise, all right? Because obviously the Dolphins have done this exercise ad nauseum. You're talking about moving up from 18 to the Cardinals, who are at 8, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where you pick your quarterback of choice. Mm -hmm. Either Tua or Justin Herbert or Jordan Love, and it better not be Jordan Love. <laughs> um, so you are basically saying to me, to the world, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that the L.A. Chargers are not going to pick your quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's a hard, that's hard, bro. What if they do? Now what? Well, I mean, that's, that's saying that they wouldn't be okay with either Herbert or Tua. So you're trading up, you're giving away a second-round pick, and you're putting your franchise in the hands of someone that you're, quote, okay with, unquote? I, I understand your point, and it's a very fair one. It's the same reason that Gettleman last year took Daniel Jones at six. And everybody roasted him because even though he had two first-round picks, because he didn't think Daniel Jones was going to be there at 17. But is it possible that they don't have great conviction on anybody not named Joe Burrow? Yes, and this is the the second part of the exercise. So you have to figure out what is the floor for Tua Tungavailoa and what is the floor for Justin Herbert? Because everybody's re- – you know, basically release Justin Herbert from the equation. But I'm not – my name is not everybody. I don't believe that he is totally out of the equation at all. Oh, well, so, I mean, hell, Albert Breer says he, he hasn't spoken to a single person who thinks they're taking Tua over Herbert. And everyone he's talked to thinks it's Herbert. So, as you know, there's, there is a wide range of reports out there. And I don't think you can – I don't think you can discount anyone not named Joe Burrow because the Bengals are not going to make that trade. Accurate. So, what is the floor for Tua Tungavailoa? Because you're talking about a six foot, two hundred and seventeen pound, injury prone quarterback 
who, by the way, the people I talk to, they like him. They don't love him on the basis of skill and, and what he's done on tape. They like him. They don't love him. So what is the floor for him? Well, and this is where your your psyops have to come into to, to play, and your and your spies that you have all over football, and your institutional knowledge of what uh, the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers have done in the past and what they want to do in the future when it comes to that position and any position. Uh, I know you wrote about it uh, this week, Telesco, saying that injury concerns are a real factor. Again, that could be a smokescreen. It might not be. But I am sure that they have the great Brandon Shore and all of Brandon Shore's minions scouring through every pick that the Chargers have made in the last 10 years when it comes to players with injury concerns. So you you have to make an educated guess at some point. Do I think Tua is going to go in the top five? I have I'm nervous about that. I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's likely. Could he have an Aaron Rodgers fall the whole way down to the 20s? Probably not. I think the Dolphins need to get up into the top 12, if not top 10, to guarantee themselves Tua. So who who are you saying would be the first team that would draft Tua? Oh, the Chargers would be a, would be a team at six that would that needs a quarterback that needs star power in that city that would consider Tua as their pick without question. All right. So if that's your, what you're saying to me, what you're also saying is the Dolphins can't trade. Trade or the Dolphins can't pick a position player and then expect to get to a later on, even in a trade up. That's what logic is saying to me. Correct. You can't. You can't be certain. You can have an educated guess saying, "Oh well, the Chargers historically like the big, strong, durable quarterback, so they're going to take Herbert." I mean, that's again, that's where some of your you have to make an educated guess, and it happens every year. Some some GMs get it right, some GMs get it wrong. Uh, I also wouldn't be uh, against two at five and offensive tackle at eight. I think you're going to still get a top three tackle at eight. I don't think that's going to be. So to your point, if you feel like you need to use that first of two picks on a quarterback, that's fine. Um, I just think they would like to have two top ten picks, and and, and they're going to try to find a way to do that. Yeah. uh, There are some people that have said Tua's not getting – he would be there – were it not for the Miami Dolphins at like you know they see Las Vegas as the as the your your favorite town by the way <laughs> they they see Las Vegas as the team that might consider Tua although they more likely and that's because of their their head coach who likes to collect quarterbacks like some people collect stamps mm-hmm. uh, because their general manager wants a wide receiver so. So that's that is the floor that some people are telling me. I, you know, ugh, that's what is hard. that? What is that's, that? Fifteen. Uh, Las Vegas is at twelve. At twelve. So uh, yeah. So they they need they need to they need to get in the top ten. I think if they're if if the plan that we're discussing, BPA at five quarterback with their second first round pick, they need to get in the top ten. And what about Justin Herbert? His floor? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the exercise is this. What teams need quarterbacks? And what, and, and, and what teams might trade up from, say, I don't know, the mid-20s 
like the New England Patriots and go get their quarterback. You, there, are, there are scenarios beyond just what the draft order is presently. But I think league-wide, we can, we can do the exercise what teams need a quarterback. And there's probably four or five that could use one that not necessarily will draft one this year. But uh, let me go down the list. Cincinnati needs a quarterback. The, the Dolphins need a quarterback. The Chargers need a quarterback. The Jaguars, even though they say they're not going to draft a quarterback, need a quarterback. That's four. The, the, the Raiders, as you mentioned, is five. Um, and then the, the Broncos are going to roll with Locke. The Falcons don't need one. The Cowboys likely don't need one. Um, and then you get down to the to, to the Raiders. Yeah, yeah. So there could be six teams, uh, and then the, the Patriots, six or seven teams that would consider drafting a quarterback in the first round if the right one is there. So uh, you know that I talked to Mario Cristobal uh, last week about Justin Herbert. And he said something that was interesting, because obviously he's talked to all the teams that have wanted information on Justin Herbert, which mm-hmm. is, which is by the way, all the teams, all 32. Uh, so, so there's that. Uh, people are dissing Justin Herbert like he's, you know, a, a, a slice of bread that you bought in March before COVID-19 and you haven't touched and now has mold on it. No. He is not that. He is he's a good quarterback and he was a great college quarterback and a productive college quarterback. Let's not forget that. Mario uh, Chris Yeah, I, I I agree largely. I think he was he, he was a solid quarterback. I think he's got some flaws. He threw Yeah, but so does everybody else. I mean, uh by the way, Joe Burrow has flaws. So I mean being too awesome. What's that? Was his flaws being too awesome? I know you love the guy. I, I get it. I know you, you love the guy. You're his caddy. I, <laughs> we're, we're on the golf course. I'm carrying your clubs, and you're carrying Joe Burrow. I, I get like, that. I feel like if you've got a great Justin Herbert nugget that you're going to drop yeah. on us, Barry Jackson yes. style. So in talking to Mario Cristobal, he, he said to me, I've talked to all the teams about Justin and I've told him about Justin, and I think he's going to land one of two places. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And he says to me that he sees him either in Miami or, quote, on the West Coast. Hmm. So, so, and that he's fine with either one because obviously Mario is from Miami 
and obviously Mario is now on the West Coast, and if Justin Herbert gets picked high in the first round, obviously on the West Coast, you're going to see Justin Herbert on the Oregon sideline on bye weeks and stuff like that. That's good for recruiting. Sure. So the West Coast team is the L.A. Chargers. Mm-hmm. And they love this guy. And they love the fact that he looks the part, yes, but he hasn't had a major, major injury. I know he had the, what was it, the clavicle, I think, uh, a few years ago. Justin Herbert has missed six games in his college career. I think Tua has missed five. But Justin Herbert has played 40 games, and Tua has played like 22 or 24. Yeah, so, and, and this is and this is the point I'm going to make. Spoiler alert in my um, in my 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 advance for the draft it'll drop in a couple hours. Um, if, if if there is still a, stop me if I'm wrong, but there is still a Bill Parcells streak in this organization that people that he hired that he mentored that he that two generations removed from him that he that he inspired. Um, are still in that building. And uh, what does he love? Prototypical size, durability, and a bunch of college starts. And Justin Herbert checks all three of those boxes. Yeah, uh, I I wish people out there are hating it because uh, they hate Bill Parcells, but there's been times when Bill Parcells has told ownership, Stephen Ross, don't do it, and they pull the trigger, and they live to regret it. Mm-hmm. One such example being Endomic and Sue. Bill Parcells told Stephen Ross, don't do that. Don't pay a quarterback salary to a defensive tackle. The Dolphins did it. Oh, boy. How'd that work out? Uh, yeah, so, not well. Yeah, the, the, there's... I, I wish that they would take his advice a little bit more seriously. But, you know, that's just me. I love the guy. So that's – there's there's your um, Armando confession of the day, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I love Bill Parcells. I know Dolphin fans hate him. They think he left the organization, didn't do anything for them. I get that. But you know what? The guy knows football. He knows a lot of football. Yeah, uh, I I agree. The question is, did the time that Chris Greer spent with him and spent in New England, and obviously Brian Flores spent a time in New England, which was uh, you can see a lot of Parcells' influences in that organization. Obviously, um, is that enough to uh, blind them to to his potential greatness? And, and I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. And, and and I think that's what this pick will come down to. I think Stephen Ross will and has. And, it has and will have input in this pick. He's not going to tell Chris Greer what to do, but Chris Greer is not going to pick a quarterback. His head coach and his owner don't want him to pick. Fair? Accurate? <laughs> well, he picked a safety that ownership didn't want him to pick. <laughs> he picked a safety instead of trading down. So, hmm. Minka Fitzpatrick, remember but that Adam, story? But, but Adam Gase was on board with that pick. So what? So, yeah, if the owner and the coach are both saying take Tua, he's not going to take Herbert. That's, that's my point. Oh, I see. If, well, let's also let me address this other thing, uh, and thereby let's us address it. 
Brian Flores has is the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Chris Greer is the general manager, but he is, in fact, Brian Flores' boss. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I'm going to tell you here right now is that even though Chris Greer is Brian Flores' boss, Chris Greer defers to our, uh, Brian Flores a great percentage of the time, if not uh, all of the time. Yeah, see, I think the quote that stands out in my mind is, I'm never going to force a player on a coach. And he's definitely not going to force the most important player on the field on a coach. And if and this is the thing that's been my hang-up with Justin Herbert. There have been a lot of things that have been my hang-up about Justin Herbert for a while, but this is the number one thing that's been my hang-up since, since January. He admitted, Herbert admitted, that he is a quiet guy by nature, that he's had to force himself to be more of a leader, to be more of an extrovert, and that uh, it's been getting himself out of his own comfort zone. Brian Flores does not like that. He does not like the quiet intellectual type. He likes the loud intellectual type, <laughs> that the, the rah-rah uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick type. And I just can't see, and again, I, I could be proven wrong in 24 hours, but I just can't see Brian Flores hitching his wagon, his future, to a guy that he doesn't have a, a kinship with, that he doesn't, ha- that he can't relate to on an emotional and philosophical level. That's fair. And uh, he's, he's even said, I, I need the it factor. Mm-hmm. But he said what might be the it factor for – actually, he said what might not be the it factor for Armando uh, might be the it factor for, for me. And so that was his quote. Remember that? Remember that? Right. I would say say pretty broadly, though, the it factor is uh, rising to the moment, making chicken salad out of chicken bleep, leading your team through adversity, and being a champion. And Tua Tungabello has done all four of those things. All right. I can remember Tua Tungabello doing that once. Yeah. It was incredible. It was his first real action ever in college, and yes. he lit up. And he lit up one of the best teams in football. Yes. And again, and 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 in fairness, yes, he played poorly in the national championship game uh, as a sophomore. Yes. But he also went to the national championship game as a sophomore, and he uh, on a on a bum ankle, uh, he almost beat the best team in the country. In where was that game? It was in Tuscaloosa, so fair enough. It wasn't actually in Baton Rouge, but regardless, he he rallied them back from what four touchdowns down. Well, wait a minute. Almost, he, wait a minute. He he rallied them back from a deficit that he helped create with turnovers. Fair, fair. But I think he did show. I mean, I, 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 think, I, I think he did show he respond to adversity, though. Fair. That he created. <laughs> how, many times, how many times did Marino create adversity that he dug himself out of? Uh, uh, I'm not sure, but I, I mean, let me put it to you this way. I saw a lot more Dan, and please, it blows my mind anytime anyone compares people to Dan Marino. Thank you, Trent Dilfer. Um, Dan Marino... Uh, the adversity he had was that the defense was a turnstile. <laughs> he, he, he never threw picks? He never threw picks in big games? Le- actually, late in his career, in especially one year, he was a pick-six machine. But <laughs> for the 16 other years, uh, most of the time he was, you know, he. what was that game, 51-45 to 45 against the Jets? 
That wasn't Dan Marino, like, allowing 40, you know, 51 points. That was the <laughs> defense. I remember a lot of those. That's what I remember. I will say this. If Tua had not gotten hurt this year, Alabama would have won the national championship. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. All, that's, that's what I'm saying is that he, he in three seasons went 22-2. and two. That is incredible. Incredible. In the SEC West, which is the hardest division in college football. Let me ask you this. Tua lost to LSU, correct? Uh, yes, he did. All right. LSU was a, a, a juggernaut through the entire playoffs. Through the, I mean, there was it was like they were toying with people. Right. So I, I, I tend to think that what happened actually happened. Also, also the big if, and you, you boiled it down, the question on Tua or the major question is, if he had not gotten hurt, that – that phrase makes me want to run for the exits because if he had not gotten hurt, is going to be shadowing him for the next X number of years until he proves I do not get hurt. Totally fair. And that's the reason he's not the number one pick in the draft. Because as, as much as I love Joe Burrow, as much as good as he is, to his body of work as, as a collegiate player, much better than Joe Burrow's. Joe Burrow was fantastic for one season. Joe Burrow, uh, Tua Tagovailoa was fantastic for parts of three seasons. Uh, w- one more point uh, on Herbert and, and Tua. Yes, Tua did lose to LSU, which was the best team in the country, obviously the best team in the SEC. Justin Herbert lost to Auburn, which wasn't even the second best team in its own division. That had four losses. That's who Joe. That's who Justin Herbert lost to. So yes, you can hold the one of two losses that, uh, and the other one was in the national championship game, by the way, that that Tonga Bailoa had as a starter uh, against um, against Tua Tonga Bailoa. That's fair. How many of the losses are you going to hold against uh, Justin Herbert that Oregon suffered over the last three years? Uh, the loss that I I put on Justin Herbert was against uh, Arizona State. That was on him. Because I don't think he raised them um, to a high level. Having said all that, how many first-round draft pick wide receivers does does Alabama have last year? Uh, well, at least two are going to go this year in the first round. Yeah, and two more next year. So four. Uh, how many first-round offensive linemen do they have? Uh, probably two or three. Definitely one this year, one next year. They had one last year. Mm-hmm. So uh, how many first-round running backs has Tua played with? Well, let's see. The Raiders made Tua's running back last year a uh, first-round pick. What I'm saying to you is Justin Herbert has none of that. Yeah, so that's, I, that's, I think that's, that's, that's a little unfair to say, well, Justin Herbert lost to uh, Auburn. Well, Justin Herbert didn't have the guns that – to go into that fight like Tua Tonga-Vailoa did. Fair. I would also say that in his chances to win big games, he did it once, and that was the Rose Bowl. Okay, you can say the Pac-12 championship. All the Pac-12 was complete garbage this past year, as it's always been garbage. But, yes, his, his one big win was the Rose Bowl, and he didn't even play that well. He ran the ball well. He didn't throw the ball well in that game. Um, but, but Tua, his two losses were to NFL teams. Clemson and LSU. Clemson last year, LSU this year. 
were NFL teams. Those yeah. are the te- those are the teams that beat Tua. Everybody else, he absolutely annihilated. Playing with an NFL team. Fair. That's fair. So, look, uh, uh, I would say to you, and I'm going to say this. No, I'm not going to say it. I'll leave it for a column. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Look at me. I'm teasing columns. I have have no compunction about teasing columns. Who is your best non-quarterback player that you would pick at number five? Oh, what a great question. Uh, 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 I think they're going to take a tackle if they, if they go best player available. Uh, I love, I really love Werfs. Uh, was that, is that how you say his name? Werfs. Uh, <laughs> he sounds like a Star Trek character. And any, any offensive lineman that can literally jump out of the swimming pool onto the ledge has got a level of athleticism that is pretty unique and pretty special. And I think you put him on that offensive line, and then you draft two at eight, and you've got a team that in 2021 is going to win the Super Bowl. How about that, Armando? That's beautiful. Um, so my question would be whether he gets drafted by the Giants or not at number four. But, you know, right. that's, that's in the Mondo mock draft, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> he got drafted number four by the Giants. So I'm going to tell you my guy, all right, because thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. It is Andrew Thomas from Georgia. I have been on this kid for months and months and months. And not because I know anything, Adam, because let me just be very transparent. I don't know Jack, okay? But I know people that know stuff. Mm-hmm. And they have all told me that guy is a, is a top five tackle all day long. All day long. He's going to start immediately at left tackle. And on top of that, he's going to play for 10 years. And on top of that, oh, by the way, he's great with the leadership, great in the locker room, great off the field. Uh, He is as clean and as ready to plug and play as it gets. Uh, I would be fine with either of those two picks at five. I will say this. Whomever they draft, Armando, better be better than Laramie Tunsil. Because if not, what the hell are they doing? That's a great point. That's a great point. <laughs> that is like, because uh, uh, that's what you you guys, the reporters, that's what you're gonna do. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna the media is, <laughs> is going to say to um, Brian Flores and Chris Greer whenever he talks to us. Did the tackle that you drafted, perhaps with the first pick of your draft, perhaps with the pick that, you know, uh, you used on Laramie Tunsil, perhaps with a higher pick, did you get a player better than the one that you gave up? (laughs) Only only time will tell on that one. Fair. No, but... Guess what? They don't get a lot of time because it doesn't just apply to Laramie Tunsil. It also applies to Minka Fitzpatrick, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. And totally Minka right. Fitzpatrick, I'm, let me look at the Pro Bowl roster for 2019. Oh, I, th- I think you mean all pro. All pro <laughs> roster. That, that, I think that's, that's the list that you need. So Minka was an all pro, right? Correct. <laughs> uh, Tunsil was a pro bowler, right? Correct. Correct. <laughs> 
that's a high bar that they have to that they have to meet. To you, make, you know, you know who those. else was you know who else was a Pro Bowler in 2019? No, who? Ryan Tannehill, baby. Their uh, their quarterback that they traded, their tackle they traded, and their safety they traded all were Pro Bowlers. Yeah, I'm not all that upset about the Ryan Tannehill thing. I get it. You know, I get it. I, I, you wouldn't have traded Ryan Tannehill. You, you would have paid him $27 million. I would have done both. I would have kept him and drafted a quarterback last year. They didn't either. <laughs> well, they, they drafted Josh Rosen in the second round, basically. That's, that's true. That's fair. How'd that go? Not well. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, we got, we got to go because, uh, the draft is very soon and we're running out of time. But shall we, shall we break some news? Uh, to our listeners, that this won't be a one-podcast week, but it'll be a two-podcast week? Well, tell me, because you're breaking news to me. We will, Friday morning, sleep-deprived and bleary-eyed, do a service to our many, many fans, and have a second podcast that breaks down the Dolphins' three draft picks in the first round of the 2020 draft. Wow, that's great. That is awesome. I think I'll tune in for that. <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, by the way, uh, Beasley, before we go, some some lady named Carrie Beasley just followed me on Twitter. Are you related? Uh, probably. We're everywhere, my friend. Everywhere, everywhere you look, there's a Beasley. That's amazing. That's but you don't know her personally. No, no, you, no, no. I do not. But if she's rich, I'll claim her. <laughs> Okay, and with that, we appreciate you joining us on the Dolphins in Depth podcast the day before the 2020 NFL Draft. Join us again on Friday, right, Bees? Friday. Friday morning. Friday morning. That's, that's amazing. We look forward to it. We hope you do, too.